sleep. I only understood the value of sleep when I lost it. And that happened at exactly the same time I became a parent. Whether it's the bone-crushing sleep deprivation of the early weeks and months, or the interrupted nights from wet beds and sick children, sleep is never the same. I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is The Promise of Sleep, a podcast that explores all the ways parents and babies can get more sleep. In this episode, we're taking a look at the elephant in the room, co-sleeping. Certainly co-slept, bed-shared with my own children, and I support parents if they want to do this. I still think it's a matter of personal choice, and it's really important to, to open that conversation so that parents are doing this safely. Yeah, we ended up um, moving to co-sleeping because we just found that getting up like every hour, like every 40 minutes, you know, every hour and a half, two hours, it was just too much. So we brought him into the bed with me and then it was just, you know, like patting him and shushing him. And yeah, we, we found, yeah, we found that was a lot more manageable co-sleeping in the end than constantly getting up and down, up and down. It was just brutal and we couldn't, we couldn't sustain it, particularly with us both working. As you just heard, Co-sleeping is one of the ways some parents cope when their babies are waking through the night. In fact, according to Red Nose Australia, up to 90% of parents will co-sleep with their child at one time in the first six months of their life. But it's also a practice that's surrounded by myth and mystery and a fair serving of parental judgment and guilt. I co-slept with both my children. I followed the safe sleep guidelines from the Red Nose Australia website. It felt natural to me and meant I got more sleep. But at the time, there was a lot of negative press about practice. There were articles with headlines about babies who had died in co-sleeping arrangements. Friends told me I was creating a rod for my back. When my son was four months old, a really kind lactation consultant said she was obliged to tell me that he was at the highest risk of dying while co-sleeping with me. All of these things made me uncertain about my choice and to be honest, I was terrified. Now that my children are older, I can look back on the experience and I want to know why these were the messages I was sent as a new mum. It feels like I was only told the dangers without being told about the ways I could minimise those dangers. When it comes to co-sleeping, I felt like I wasn't trusted to parent my child. If so many people are co-sleeping with their children, shouldn't we know all the facts, the pros and the cons, so that we can make the best decision for our families? The first place to start is to define the term itself. Professor James McKenna is the director of the Mother Baby Behavioural Sleep Lab at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. He's been researching mums and bubs for over 30 years. It can be a baby sleeping within arm's reach of a basket hanging from a ceiling or a crib right next to the baby's or the mother's bed. Anywhere where there is sensory communication between the two and a commitment by the caregiver to respond and a willingness to respond to the signals of the baby. Co-sleeping can be many different things. It could be bed sharing sleeping in the same room, or falling asleep on the lounge with the baby on your chest. 
There are many ways you can sleep with a child that is unsafe, both in terms of where you sleep and the state you are in when you lie beside them. Lorraine Harrison is an educator with Red Nose Australia and a registered nurse and midwife. Research would show us that, that generally speaking, if it's a baby under the age of three months of age, and particularly a baby who has been born premature, that there are, is a small amount of risk having that baby in bed with parents. Then we can add more layers of risk to it. So then we're adding things like, um, you know, the baby shouldn't be wrapped or swaddled if they're in bed with parents. We also look then of adding the risk of the baby's head and face becoming covered. So that can be with loose bedding, um, pillows, other soft objects that may be in the adult bed. And then you can take the next um, level of risk, which is looking at if the parents are smokers, if they've been drinking alcohol, using drugs, um, even sedating medication that may be prescribed for them. And one that's sort of only fairly newly come into some of the research areas is the fact that if the um, parents are excessively tired, which of course is, is huge in those first few weeks of being parents, that that may also add a risk to it. Then if you add um, other children and animals in bed as well, all of those just add an extra layer of risk to the baby. When I think of co-sleeping, I think of bed sharing. In my experience, that's what most parents associate with that term. When you hear about a baby dying from sudden unexplained death in infancy, or SUDI, it's often blamed on co-sleeping, yet we're rarely told the details of how the family was sleeping. James McKenna says this is a big problem when it comes to giving parents all the facts about the dangers and risks associated with sharing a bed. The AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, is promoting this terrible, deleterious, one-size-must-fit-all, never sleep with your baby. They don't even know what the definition is of sleeping with your baby. You know, they don't make any distinctions between the factors, what is in the context of that bed-sharing environment. They think of it as a unitary, you know, homogenous activity. It's actually composed of, of many, many different behaviors that determine the outcomes. You can't understand why a bed-sharing death occurs by virtue of saying, oh my gosh, it was the bed sharing that did it. That's absolutely false. Any more than you can determine why a baby dies in its crib by saying, oh my gosh, it was the crib sleeping. Where was the crib? Where was the baby placed in the crib? How many blankets were in the crib? You might be surprised to know that Red Nose Australia is not anti-bed sharing. Certainly we don't promote co-sleeping or sharing a sleep surface, but, you know, we very much believe that there's no point coming out really hard against it and saying, you know, as if it was a, a biblical edict, you know, thou shalt not. Um, but to say, well, you know, we know that 90% of parents are probably going to have baby in bed with them at some time in the first six months. So that's most parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so therefore if we come out really hard or other health professionals come out really hard against it, people are going to do it anyway and are not going to listen to the messages around how to reduce the risk and, and minimise risks in that sleep environment. While Red Nose Australia don't promote sharing a bed, they strongly believe in harm minimisation. Thanks to Red Nose, the number of Sudi deaths have dramatically decreased in Australia. In 2016, there were over 311,000 births in Australia 
and 94 Sudi deaths. It's one of the most successful public health campaigns in Australia. But somewhere along the line, the fear of Sudi has taken over. And in the messaging about the dangers, we're losing the facts about how to do it safely. I think where some of that message gets mixed is because when you look at the actual stats of how many babies die each year, and say let's take New South Wales for an example, um, probably, and I think Victoria is pretty much the same, about 60% of the deaths that occur that are given the label of SUDI, which is Sudden Unexpected Death in Infancy, about 60% of those are in a shared sleep surface uh, environment. Now, some of those would be parents who have taken their baby to bed with them intentionally. Others would be those who have taken their baby to bed for the purpose of feeding and have gone to sleep with the baby in bed with them. However, when you really look at all of the information, it is very rare, it does happen, but it is rare related to the numbers of deaths for a baby to not have other risk factors in that sleep environment, as we outlined earlier. If we're going to share a bed with our babies, let's make sure we have all the facts and let's do it safely. Red Nose Australia has very straightforward instructions on how to safely bed share with your child. Just head to their website, rednose.com.au. After this short break, we'll hear from a few people who have consciously chosen to share a bed with their babies, not just because their babies weren't sleeping. If you're a parent who likes to be on top of your kids' health and safety, you need to listen to Ain't That The Truth. Hosted by Sarah Hunstead from CPR Kids, it's a short, sharp podcast series that skewers myths in ways that will stick in your brain. Professor Paul Dawson from Clemson University in the US decided to test out a range of foods and drop them on different surfaces. What they found was really interesting. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Promise of Sleep, a kindling podcast hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'm Liv Londelios. My daughter is one year old and um, we are apartment dwellers in Sydney and we chose to co-sleep. Liv has always known she would share her bed with her baby. It just was um, something that felt really natural for me. So it wasn't something that I had to like read lots about. It was just quite clear that... um, if I had a baby, I wanted her, especially a newborn, wanted her to be very close to me. And um, also because I always knew that I wanted to breastfeed her. And I think um, that it just makes it much easier if the baby is right there, especially in the beginning, a newborn is feeding very, very frequently. Um, and I didn't like the idea of having to get up each time and walk around the house and um yeah, and also my my mum did the same with me. So I think that was another thing that probably felt um, natural to me because it was the, the way I was brought up myself as well, yeah. She grew up near Hamburg in northern Germany to a Swedish mum and a Dutch dad. Zwei kleine Wölfe gehen des Nachts im Dunkeln. Man hört den einen zu dem anderen Munkeln. I'm curious to know whether any of that had any influence on your decision because I know having grown up in Australia and also the messaging I got all through my pregnancy and once my babies were born was that 
co-sleeping was dangerous. I wonder if you heard any of that messaging and, and what you thought about it if you did get that from the people that were checking up on you and your health. Um, yeah, I was really surprised when I heard that for the first time and I thought, what what would people be scared of? And then, um, yeah, I guess one of the things um, was that you might accidentally hurt your baby by rolling over onto it and things like that. Whereas I do think that every mum has a pretty good um, sixth sense and also really strong um, awareness and natural ability to look after her children, unless, of course, there are any medications or alcohol or anything like that involved. And also, of course, given that the child is healthy itself, it would possibly be different as well if the child was born with some sort of disability or something that you find that, um, you know, something that couldn't interfere with that. We also, in the beginning, didn't just have her loose in the bed, but we had, and that's kind of a thing that's really popular in Scandinavia, yeah, as well and back home it's a little cushion looks like a dog bed and it um, ours was called a bub nest and that's where she was in so she was in the bed but there was just this slight little um, barrier around her as well um, which would just keep her in a safe spot basically yeah and those are tested as well as in they won't suffocate in there so the barriers you know they can breathe through it basically so yeah and and I guess that's another thing like we were of course aware of not having our um, blankets or duvets like right up we just wore kind of long sleeve pajamas and we had the we just kept our feet warm basically because the first few nights I was yeah you know I didn't want to have like a big chunky blanket like right over the newborn baby. Liv's husband Dave was on board with co-sleeping from the beginning. Liv and I have been sleeping together for such a long time we still wanted to stay next to each other rather than be separated with the baby so I think that was really nice it was still like um, you know we were together and you know some things about our old sleeping habits and our old life remain the same but we just had this like little one on the on the side um we did have we do have a wall sort of on the other side that sort of prevented her from falling over so if you have you know both sides open you know open to the the floor you probably want to put something there um, I, I eventually built a little railing on the side that we had to sort of, we bolted onto the bed when we she got older because she would just flop and roll about when she, <laughs> she was in her sleep. Liv and Dave enjoy sharing their bed with their little girl, but it's not a dream for everyone. It's important to acknowledge that sharing a bed doesn't work out all the time and for many different reasons. You may bring them into bed with you to get more sleep and then after time decide it's not what you want anymore. Mel started sharing a bed with her son Noah to get some sleep because he was waking constantly. He's now 10 months old and she's ready for him to sleep in his cot. I asked her if sleep was unsettled when he's beside her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's you're still waking up regularly. It's just that natural instinct of you're waking up, you're checking on him, making sure he hasn't kicked his blanket off when he's not cold, making sure you're giving him his space. You just naturally wake up and check on them. It's also not hugely comfortable because he does take up, it's a queen bed and he takes up most of the room. He's tiny, but he somehow takes up most of the room and I have a little bit on the edge that I'm squished into. So you do wake up very tight and squished it's not the best night's sleep like it's better than getting up like every half an hour from 12 till 6 but it's still not an amazing sleep sometimes when you're ready to stop sharing a bed your baby or child isn't on the same page that might be a time when you need help and support from a professional 
If this is you, you might like to check out episode two, Choosing a Sleep Consultant. Other times, your child can get to a point where they just want their own space and bed. In the meantime, when you share a bed with your child, people are always curious about intimacy. I often got horrified looks from people. How did my partner and I have sex? Well, I think let's just get a bit creative if that's a problem. (laughs) It doesn't have to be in bed at night time. That's Pinky McKay, a lactation consultant, author and mum of five. She shared her bed with her children and she's all for busting myths around the practice. Now there's so much emphasis on sleep training and bad habits that people are terrified that if your baby's in your bed at, you know, three months old, you know, at 30 years old, he'll still, or 13, (laughs) he'll still want to be in your bed. Um, A few years ago, I was actually writing for an Asian magazine and there was an article, yeah, they'd send me copies of the magazine and there was an article in one of them about co-sleeping and there was an interview with a psychiatrist from the Philippines. They said to her, so when should co-sleeping stop? And she said, by adolescence, because adolescents need privacy. How different is that from our cultural expectation? For those who choose to share a bed safely, there can be many benefits. Pinky again. One of the bigger advantages I saw with my children was that, look, if they were ever sick, you could feel that temperature go away from their body because they were next to you. You know, you, you were sort of had this awareness the whole time. You wouldn't go into a deep sleep if they were unwell. And my daughter was about four and I was sitting in bed with a, just with a little bedside lamp on reading about children being scared of the dark. And as I was reading this sentence, now I'm a really slow learner, she pitter-patted out of her bedroom down to the toilet and went back to her own bed. And I went, she's never been scared of the dark. Oh, neither have the others. And I went, they've never been left alone in the dark, so why would they be scared of the dark? Professor James McKenna, director of the Mother Baby Behavioural Sleep Lab in the United States, says that people in many countries around the world don't understand the West's concern with sharing a bed. Mothers gain sleep, they're able to manage their milk supply, their babies are happy, they're not dissettled and crying, and we have more a bureaucratic, political institution that's becoming a barrier to the health and well-being of our babies and mothers. We have mothers lying to their health caregivers for fear of being detected and punished, etc. When in fact, what we are really realizing is the reintroduction of a behavior that most of the world has actually incorporated anyway, and they don't even know what the trouble is here. Ultimately, whether you co-sleep with your child or not, it's like everything else in parenting. Do your research. Work out what's comfortable and what works for you and your family. Check out Red Nose Australia and their instructions for safe sleeping practices. Then leave the guilt and judgment behind. That's it for this episode. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email. It's podcast at kindling.com.au. If you think this podcast or any others in this series would help a friend, please let them know. And if you have time to leave a rating on iTunes, that will help us reach more parents. On the next episode of The Promise of Sleep, we're looking at night terrors, sleep apnea and other sleep disorders. 
In the morning, she said to me, I barely slept, not just because of the noise, because I was really scared, because Poppy was doing that sleep apnea thing where you... <gasps> and then it sounds like you've stopped breathing. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you then. <laughs>